Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The best things happen after dark. Nightclubs are the ultimate space for self-expression, escape, music, socializing, and forgetting for a moment the outside world. They're a place to discover ourselves, find new friends and fall in love. As humans, we like to dance to a beat and there's nothing like a good night out. I'm Jody Harsh. I'm a DJ, producer and occasional club promoter. I know how to tear up a dance floor and for this podcast, I want to explore with my guests how club culture and going out has shaped their identities and informed their work. I've got us the guest list and Q-Jump sorted, so we'll delve right into the hazy memory banks and hit the floor. This is Life of the Party. My guest this week is a bona fide dance floor icon. She was one half of Maloko, whose track Sing It Back is an anthem known across the world, and throughout her 25-year career has released some of my favourite dance music. Her album Overpowered is electro-pop heaven. It's my coming-of-age soundtrack. And her recent bangers like Simulation and Narcissus are twisted disco delights. Her live shows are the stuff of legend. She makes music you can rave to, so much so she's even played the Berghain. But it's music with meaning and emotion. Her journey through culture is an unconventional path. Her position as an odd one out in the music industry has made her an icon for so many people who feel they don't fit into the norm. I think I can already tell that late nights on dance floors have informed her work and are a huge part of her story. This incredible artist stands out in a room and I'm so excited to have her on this episode. Roisin Murphy, this is your life of the party. Hello. <laughs> what an intro. Was that oh, all right? <laughs> it was lovely. Where are you? I am in Ibiza, obviously. <laughs> so that's so nice. Oh, mate, it's brilliant. Are you getting to party a little bit over there or is it just chills? No, it's mostly just chills and, yeah, loads of friends here. I came on my own. Um, right. My fella has a house here, so I'm st- I stayed here on my own for a week first in the house, which was amazing after being kind of all locked up together uh, during lockdown. So real nice to sort of spend some time with myself, finding myself. Finding yourself that, in you know? the beat perfect. And now we're going to have a house full for another, for a couple of weeks. So uh, three weeks in total. Um, so let's start from the very beginning, your first ever party back in Ireland. Do you remember like a birthday party growing up? Uh, I don't think I could possibly remember the first uh, party I was at because they had so many parties. And I often say no matter how rock and roll I become, I could never be as rock and roll as me parents and their generation. They were just, I lived in a town called Arklow, I was brought up and they had a lot of employment. It was like really one of the most well-off, well, not not well to do, but people were really doing well in Arklow in the in the seventies, and they had a thing called the four day weekend, 
You know, people just get get on it on Friday, not going to work until Tuesday and stuff like that. My uncle was a jazz musician and had these big, long uh, jazz sessions on Sundays every summer, like every Sunday. So that I can remember really clearly being there from the age of like four and five, dancing away to jazz all day and just being surrounded by absolute lunatics, adults that are very childlike. And um, yeah, my mum has shown me very many things, but uh, one of the great things that I know from my mother is how to throw people out. Right. Because (laughs) (laughs) she's extremely good at that. She's had to do it very, very often. Uh, So I I always turn into my mum when I have to do something like that. You may go on about your business now. You know where that door is. (laughs) You know, if you know homes to go to, things like that. That's the technique, just Uh, just rudeness. uh, (laughs) Yeah, just also very mumsy. Go very mumsy about it and people kind of take their tail in and and head out, you know. Got it. And uh, she, she, but they all sang as well. Everybody sang songs constantly. It was like living in a sort of, MGM musical, really. Right. Everybody was bursting out into song constantly. <laughs> All summer for sure was a party. And then we had wonderful Christmases. And yeah, I mean, any excuse really for a yeah. few drinks and a knees up. And then you later moved to the north of England. So where did you start your dance floor journey there in nightclubs? <clears throat> in Manchester. Yeah. I'm guessing the Hacienda may have played. Uh, yeah, I was in the Hacienda a few times, but it wasn't my favourite, the Hacienda. I like I like smaller clubs, you know, where you go in and you're enveloped by sound. I love wooden dance floors and things like that. Um, old school clubs, the kind of clubs they don't build anymore, which is really sad. Totally. You know, when you go in and there's no windows and there's no sense of the outside world, it's just dark and disco lights and softness and, yeah. you know, warmth, really. Uh, so I did go to my... Uh, I tried to get in... Very early on into the Hacienda, oftentimes would be turned down. But I did get in a few times, yeah, before I left uh, was for Sheffield. It, was it a really strict door then? She was, yeah. There was a there was a woman on the door. You could get past the fellas, but if the woman was on the door, you were right. in severe trouble. Like she would pull you in and wow. ask you all these questions, and then figure out that you were fourteen, and then kick you in the arse, and you'd be around. So, it, so <laughs> it was an age thing. It it, it was it was because you didn't have the right Absolutely, idea. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. There was a lot of young kids trying to get in all the time, and they had a very dodgy situation. The hacienda, I think, with the with their license was always on the edge of being taken away from them type thing. So they did right, have to be right. careful. But um, I got in a few times. I, I didn't love the Hacienda because it just didn't sound great. It looked great, but the music didn't really envelop you, you know. So there was like little mm. clubs that I went to and I went all over the city, um, very mm. young age. Uh, what happened to me was we moved when I was 12 as a family and my parents broke up when I was 15 in a very bad way. Um and they all sort of dissipated and I didn't want to go with my mother back to Ireland. So I stayed in Manchester at that point. And when I was 16, I got a flat of my own. And so I was totally free as a bird to go wherever I wanted to go. And it's a miracle, like nothing bad ever happened to me, but I was in really rough places, very young, you know. And every kind of music was available to me to experience in Manchester. A lot of live music. And that really was where I started going out, was going to gigs. Because mm. you didn't get asked yeah. your age and for, you know, you weren't interrogated at the door, you just went in. And then 
yeah, in the late 80s, you know, I started going to clubs. Mm. First clubs I went to were more like black clubs, really, R&B, soul, rare groove, like jazz dance places. And um, and then I went to hip-hop nights and I went to blueses, you know, reggae blueses. And, um, and then gradually the sort of acid house thing came in and I went, there was a really good acid house club there. I can't remember the name of it that I loved and then we started getting into I went to raves a few times but didn't love raves again don't like big massive concrete spaces for dancing mm. in you know really love clubs yeah would you go to gay clubs yeah I went to trade when I was 16 I went down to Manchester I went down to wow. London and that was another one where we had right. to queue three or four times me and this little girl that right. tried to get in we kept getting turned down, and then on the fourth right. fourth cube, we got in. And so I trade remember was, um, terminals. Yeah, and yeah, it was, so it was terminals at very, very late night, right? Went it right was through Sunday, all the way. Yeah, we we stayed there until the yeah. morning. Yeah, and um, nice. I remember coming in there and going up onto the balcony, and looking down, and seeing all these men in their Calvin Klein underpants, you know, and the lasers all pinging around yeah. them <clears throat> like a sea of men. And I said to me, friend, I said, oh, I love this. It's like Babylon, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like, and we, yeah, we had a brilliant night, brilliant night, but a real eye yeah. opener. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, yeah, absolutely. And then the other gay club that I really remember is Paradise, which was in the, uh, in Manchester as well. In the building that used to be Factory Records offices, beautiful like loft space, um, and we used to come over from Sheffield for that. So that was a bit later. That wasn't actually on when I lived in Manchester, but we used to come over special. Mm. And um, mm. my friend actually, who's with me now, we used to go there quite a lot, and uh, we'd have to like get off with each other to get in because that was at the door policy. Right. There, you had to be gay. <laughs> Right. So we kind of hold our no just... hold our noses like <laughs> try and prove that we were gay. <laughs> I heard now I heard a story. I don't know if you can clear clear up this rumor, but I heard a story that you were um, dancing on the bar at a gay club in Manchester, yeah. which then became the inspiration for Kylie's spinning around. She's video. here. Is that, She's is here. That true. Don't oh. the director. <laughs> Come here, Dawn. We're oh. asking about me getting on the bar and the inspiration for Hello. how hey, you get knocked up <laughs> on the bar. Yeah, yeah. Can you tell us that story? Well, it was manumission, was it? It was really early manumission party. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I thought it was an. I thought it was a one of the electric chairs, but it well, it wasn't. It was a, a manumission do. This one's always been my inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> Dawn Shadford, big, big director now. Um, but, uh, yeah. yeah, so she, I was there and I got up on the bar and I was riding the bar like a horse. And then all these like right. guys who were in like a Chippendale type troupe came around me and they were like, I had, I had white PVC boots on a little white mini dress and they were just kind of kissing me boots and I was legs akimbo all on the bar and everything. And it was. Yeah, it was just one of many ridiculous, sounds, ridiculous Sounds stories. like a, a nice night out. Somebody's got a VHS of it somewhere because I remember there was someone ah. over in the corner videoing it. So that then became the 
that then became Kylie's spinning around video. That well, was no, I mean, I think she it, just thought, Dawn must have just thought, I'll clock that and thought, yeah, you're hopping up on the bar is not a bad idea. But I wasn't wearing got gold, it, co- it. I had definitely not responsible for the gold hot pants, which really carried the whole video. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> she had the whole place adoring her and she was like writhing around on top of the bar. <laughs> it was a good night. No, it was a good old night. Beautiful man. <laughs> Not the worst I've got up to in nightclubs, honestly. (laughs) No. Sounds fun. Um, So you're you're in Ibiza now. Yeah. So I guess when Sing It Back came out, um, when you were part of Maloko, it was sort of that peak commercial Ibiza era. Yes. Did you get to spend much time there then? Yeah, yeah. Performing and stuff. Yeah, I was there, standing beside Pete Tong, going, play my fucking record! Play it now! He, only, he always tells that story. Before it, before it was a hit? No, I think, it, actually, it was after singing it back. That was a familiar feeling. But, yeah, at that moment, like, where it was all down at Cafe Del Mar, that was, actually. Play my fucking record. But, yeah, that's never been my experience of Ibiza anyway, really. You can have that, but you can have all kinds of experiences here. And um, there's something about it just keeps drawing the like of me and you back, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I want to talk about that record because, I mean, I know so many people who say it's one of their favourite dance records. I'm sure you hear that all the time as well. Mm-hmm. And I, when I DJ, I always play the Moose T remix, which because is something that Donna Summer bass like. Because it's Oh, murder. it's major. It's so good. It's like you play it and you can't put anything next to it. The sound of it yeah. is so it's, pristine. Yeah, yeah. Can we talk about the inspiration for that track? Because I think you've said before it was inspired by a night out of body and soul. That's is right. That, yes. Is that yeah. Right? yeah. Well, I tell you, when you see, it, the song first was on the second album, Loco's second album. And when we made the first album, and as I said to you, I was really into dance music as a teenager and that. But when we made the first album, I think both of us were a little bit turned against it. Um, it had been around for about five or six years and it was getting more and more commercial. And Maloko was really a reaction to it, you know. Part, big part of Maloko was what we weren't going to do. And we weren't going to do that. So that's not on the first album in any way, shape or form. Mm. And I think also for Mark, because he had um, had some dance hits and stuff and so did his mates, you know, they were really on the very vanguard of it in the UK, in Sheffield there. And... It didn't matter what they did with it. It was still always seen as a kind of novelty music at that time. Right. You can't put yourself back in that place. But really, it was like if you had a hit, it was like a novelty thing, you know, even when you were serious about it. So that it didn't wasn't leading these artists into a place where they had a safety of being album artists or, you know, doing live music or anything like that. It seemed to be stuck there. So for him, I think it was good that I was very reactionary about it and he went with that because he'd had mm. those sorts of issues. But um, mm. I went to New York after making the first album and after the touring and all that <clears throat> on my own, as is me want now and again, such as now, you know, to go and find yourself type yeah. of thing. Yeah. And I went and I stayed with a girl I didn't know, but it was a friend of a friend and she turned out to be one of my best all-time best friends and she was working in dance music at the time she was working for a label called Groove but she had worked for Strictly and Tommy Boy and all sorts so she knew every party that was going on in the town at the time and brought me all over and I got a massive education about 
about where it mm. all came from and that it wasn't sort of some alien music or from only from Germany or, you know, it. I got to understand where the musical roots of it were and a big part of that was going to Body and Soul. And he, right, he right. and Francois DJing, he'd be DJing. Now, Body and Soul, like, was on the in the day on a Sunday, every Sunday at that time. And I used to go even on my own there, like, um, just... That's the only club I've ever been to consistently on my own, just to have a dance. Yeah. So good. Yeah. So good. So you just go by yourself and just get lost in the music. Yeah, just, it was all about dancing. You know, it wasn't about drinking. It wasn't about being out of control. Yeah. It was about being part of, um, really being led by, by the DJs without standing around looking at them or videoing them like we do now, you know, but really being led by yeah. these DJs who've come you know, from Paradise Garage, like from the very inception of what it is that we do. And um, and then these dancers too, they were all there. They were, half of them had been in Paradise Garage too and the loft. And um, mm. so this whole new way of dancing that I saw as well, that was like balletic and moving your feet and stuff like that. Because at that time there wasn't even any footwork in the dancing in the UK. It was all like this. Mm. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I saw this sort of like full body movement to house music, which also made many, many connections for me. Um, and I got enlivened again by house music there. And also he would, Francois would play these big uh, vocal tracks and he'd turn it down and everyone would know every word. And that was where I got the idea of sing it back, sing it back to me, you know, that that would be a great, God. thing for a, for a house record <clears throat> so I came back and I said to Mark give me a house beat and that was the first song I wrote for that al second album and then I listened to that second album the other day and it's a bit embarrassingly paranoid that album it's super paranoid really? In what way? like Sing It Back's the only nice one on there and maybe mm. maybe Caught in a Whisper I think that's on there that's nice too but the the rest of them are all like, oh, you're talking about me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I realized that was when we started smoking skunk in, this, in, in the UK. <laughs> it was like, right. enter skunk. So, um, right. yeah, I'm not a doctor, super paranoid. And um, yeah. also I think it was paranoid as well because, because of trip hop, because of the label trip hop. And we put, you know, we put out... Uh, the first record before trip hop was even named but pretty soon after it came out this label was shoved on us and shoved on loads of other people that we didn't really feel we had anything in common with and all that so that caused paranoia in and of the writing of the record and <clears throat> and i think there was paranoia about because sing it back was originally on this house beat i think he got paranoid about doing house then at the last minute and he changed it to something very beautiful, but it's not dance floor, you know. It's the version on the album, goey, balearic, yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, of course, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and but, but also oh, because it was the remix, yeah, yes. Yeah. So remi the remix, did a remix it? Yeah. of it, but basically, it. we put out this paranoid album, and it was a bit of a damp squid uh, commercially. And at the end of it, I went to the label and I was like, "Look, I always meant to do this as a dance record, and should we get some remixes?" And um, they got uh, Terry, Todd Terry, to do one. 
because he was just had a massive hit with everything but the girl remakes missing and that cost the price of a, of a house in she- a small house in Sheffield that remakes we could have bought a house in, in wow. Sheffield not not a nice yeah. house but you know still a house could have rented <laughs> it to students we'd still be making money today but right. anyway <laughs> <laughs> anyway and uh, it wasn't you know I love Todd he's genius but it wasn't one of his best really honestly and then so that was a bit disappointing and then Boris Delugosh did the remix off of his own back he got in contact with the label in Germany he was please give me the parts and it came to me in those days on a, you know you got sent in the post a CD and um, I put it on and I was like literally like it was like Star Wars you know when Leia is projected as a as a I could see myself at, on top of the pops immediately. It was a visual. Right, like, right. That's a hit. Right. It was uh, was written yeah. all over the bloody thing. But the label didn't yeah. believe it. The label just thought, no, we've spent the price of a small house on Todd Terry. It's got to be Todd Terry. And that was a big drama. I was like lying on the floor crying in the label going, please, like stamping my feet, stamping my hands on the ground, tears coming out of me. I'd yeah. please put out the Boris Delugosh version. Yeah. As the A side, yeah. no. So anyway, they they put it out, and the first week it came out, it went into the charts at about thirty eight, something like that, and it was a disappointment. But that week was the Miami Music Conference, and Sing It Back, the Boris version, was the biggest record. Everybody was calling into Radio One. This is you know Boris Lugos version. So at that point, we I rang up the label guy, and I was. At night, at his house, because I was listening to talk to um, to the radio, and this was all coming in. I was like, "You listening to Pete Tom? Yeah, right. Okay, do me a favor, will you? Go into the office on Monday now and delete that, and we'll we'll go again, won't we? Yes, Roshin. Okay. So, <laughs> you know, so it really was my vision, even though it was a remix. It was super. My vision came from me soul that I wanted to do this came from his soul that I knew this this version was a, a hit and everything else but having said that it was hard to feel full ownership of that success with it being a remix so lockdowns obviously changed everything as we know it yeah um I love the rave that you took part in for homo block sort of bringing clubbing to the screen now, dance music is obviously functional and its root is in creating a moment. So how have you adapted this year? Uh, well, I'm going to be really honest, but one upside is that I haven't had to do loads of festivals this year because I have been doing them year in, year out for quite a long time. Since I put out Hairless Toys, which was my first album after I had babies and stuff, it's been every year. So that's four years, really, yeah. of going and doing festivals. Yeah. So in a way, that's quite nice. And I'm here in Ibiza now, spending a good solid three weeks, really just yeah. decanting myself and rebuilding yeah. myself. Has having children changed your sort of desire to go out as well, aside from performing and work? Yeah. I mean, I guess it has. Uh, mm. But also, mm. the state of clubbing has changed my desire to go out. Really, it's not my mm. cup of tea to stand around looking at a DJ with a phone in my hand. Yeah. Um, totally. And festivals are great too, but you, would do, you wouldn't want to be doing them every year, you know, of your life. Mm. And you mm. could because mm. they are, there are just so many of them. 
and there's there's been yeah. such a huge desire for it for people and that's all very well but if you go into one after another after another after another it's quite nice to have the break this this summer and yes i did those performances totally. um i did those performances on lockdown and they were a joy to do very simple thing to do uh just singing live I got my lighting guy to bring the visuals that we use live, which are all my visuals, all my content, stuff that I make, basically, bits and pieces out of videos that I direct and what have you. And threw all that into the green light in the living room. So the living room could kind of turn into a cartoon or go back to be in the living room and all that. And um, got a chance to dress up. You know, it was the only time I put slap on and yeah. heels and that. Um, the house was a tip. You know, pulling all these oh. dresses out from under the eaves of the roof and out from under beds and things that had been put away for years. I pulled out, you know, flouncing yeah. around all over the place in the house. And it's a different different kind of thing where uh, on stage you don't really get to see the full facial expression of a performance. So it's more like a kind of film performance, like where... You see an actor and you see expression in the face, you know, and in the eyes and things like that. So that was quite nice to do. There's a certain intimacy that you, that you get with those kind of performances that you don't even get in the real, you know. So mm, a whole mm. different ballgame, but very enjoyable. Yes, I must say it did make yeah. my, my lockdown quite interesting. And the fact that I'd gotten mm. onto uh, a music software... The year before I'd started using Ableton meant that I could do lots of writing. So I'm more or less ready with the next right. album too. Nice. Because of lockdown. <laughs> so um back to going out, what's your what's your tipple? What keeps you going? I smoke a lot of weed. Do you? Yeah. But I've given up Even now. I smoked going... three I gave up three weeks ago. But yeah, right. Even when you, even when you're going out, does it not yeah. just chill you out? Even or when I'm that... doing anything, honestly, I'm a Rastafari. I really am. Right. It helps me hear music. It's just part. It's part. It's how I grow up. It's how I grew up. You know, it's really part of how I grew yeah. up with music. Um, <clears throat> it's yeah. very associated. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Have you ever found love on a dance floor? Yeah, I mean, I found everything on the dance floor. Absolutely everything. I found my loco. I found my career on the dance floor. I was in a little dirty, little scruffy underground party in a basement when I met Bryden. And it's a true story. I, I sidled up to him and said, yeah. do you like my tight sweater? And he, he did. And he wanted to oh. record me saying it. And we went to his huge studio. He built a studio called Fawn Studio, a very famous place in Sheffield. Mm. I had no idea. <clears throat> I just thought he was fit. Anyway, he brought me to this place in the middle of the night and recorded me saying that. And... Uh, from there, we started a relationship and continued. Every now and again, we'd be at a party and something would come out of me gob and we'd go in the middle of the night and record it, not singing or anything. And somehow that led to us signing a six-album deal. Wow. Which I remember saying to him, are you sure you want to do this? Like, you're a real producer. And I think he just kind of wanted to do be with me because we were just so in love and it was very enjoyable, very fun to kind of go into the studio and pretend to be a valley girl and go, I'm pretty weirdo. And, you know, it was just <laughs> very freeing for both of us. And he yeah. said to me, don't worry about the six albums. He was 13 years old, older than me. So, and he'd really had a lot of right. experience in the music business already. Said, don't worry about six albums. He said, if you if you manage to make six albums, Roshi, something's went very very right. So right, right. <laughs> you won't have to worry about that. And going back to the functional nature of dance music, you've just released Roshi Machine, yeah. um, banger of an album. Mm. So how has releasing an album during the year when we can't go to nightclubs been different? Oh, well, I hope in terms that... maybe in terms of how you wrote it. I, I think the singles, you know, they do work on the dance floor and the affiliated amazing remixes that the Parrot does and then all the incredible people who are doing currently mixes of the current single and have done mixes of the other singles. They all work in the clubs and it's, you know, would have been great. I would have been in every kind of conceivable club this week, this summer, that's for sure, because right. all of the different mixes and everything. But the album itself is not really... It's for home listening, you know, and mm. in a way it is like a sort of padlock or whatever, kind of like where a dub album, it's almost like there was a proper album somewhere and then we took it and dubbed it. That's kind of the mentality of the, of this album. And we've yeah, created a world, you know, with these songs that stands alone mm. and has a point of difference to the, to the singles. Um, people mm. are. I've told people it's known that it's it's a seamless mix, but you can listen to the tracks. Obviously, you can skip between the tracks, and the beginnings and ends make sense. So it's not like mm. you can't mm. not listen to it all in one go or anything. It would be good if you did. Um, if you could go to a, a club from the past, what would it be? It would be Paradise Garage. Mm. Yeah, Why? with Larry playing, obviously. Yeah, yeah, just for the music and the. Yeah. Ambiance and the... The fact yeah. that it had probably yeah. the greatest system ever built as well. Oh, is that true? Yeah, yeah. 
They t- oh. they tinkered with it constantly. He did, you know. He was in there in the week playing with the system, making the system great. Yeah, right. no, it's well known to be like the most immensely amazing. They can't build them like that anymore. They just can't. Right. I wonder what it is now. It's probably some multi-million dollar apartment. It's an apartment block, yeah. That's what it is. That's that's sad, isn't it? <laughs> that's fucking sad. Um, how do you end the night? What's your favourite way to end the night? End what kind I of night? It depends. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I visualise you in a kebab shop like the overpowered video. Yeah, that can that happen. That definitely <laughs> does happen. Um, you do get a bit yeah. peckish, don't you, after a good long dance? Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, you it's, it's, it used to be sort of an all back to mind thing, didn't it? Have you ever been to a house party, like, totally uninvited and, like, blagged your way in or got in trouble or anything? Got any oh, funny? God, yeah. I think I spent about 15 years just blagging my way into places. But that, really? would have been, that would have, wouldn't have been my formative years. My formative years in Sheffield were dancing really in a family, really in a family, in a tribe that were very deeply connected. Um, and, Your chosen family. Yeah, and they really were like making their own parties. The best DJs still to this day in my life are Winston Hazel and Pipes and Parrot. Um, the guys that put on the parties in Sheffield, nine times out of ten, there'd be free parties. They'd be under a restaurant in a cellar or they'd be in somebody's loft or, you know, and they were the best parties of all. And uh, and that was an education as much as anything else. And a real story about not just fun, but meaning and purpose and going somewhere with your life mm. and music being mm. the thing that carried you there. It's a very yeah. special time. Do you remember um, Caligula, that party in East London? Yeah, yeah. Jim and Leo's. Yeah. I remember going in there one time and saying, where's Leo? And they said, oh, he's in the back there. And there was a bed in the back and he was like whipping people in the bed. Oh, <laughs> oh he actually... Because that was in... Wasn't that that even, was like a little restaurant or something. Was it, wasn't it? Wasn't it was in like an old bath, in an old um, toilet or baths or That's something? An old bathhouse, wasn't it? It was behind Liverpool Street Station. I guess it was about ten years ago now, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was about good a decade that. ago. Yeah, but that's well and past my fright. formative years as well. You know, well past the scruffy real. Yeah, formative years. But I really did enjoy course. it. Yeah, then I miss Leo that he's gone. I really do. He's gone to live in. in Leo is in Rio. Brazil. Yeah. Yeah, Leo's in Rio. And where do you, what what sort of cities or places do you love to go out in? Because I've never been to South America, but I imagine Rio's got some amazing Yeah, it's lives. pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, I like uh, Serbia. You know, that's really amazing. Why? And Poland and like those kinds of places where, I mean, it's less so now, also amazing in Tbilisi to, to, to rave. Yeah. Uh, just because those kind of places, especially maybe 10 years ago, you know, when they were just building something, you know, kids were just building scenes. And to me, mm. that's where it's always been more exciting than, than when everything's mm. already established, done, people are making, know how to make money and all that sort of stuff. It's mm. more of a pop-up scene, if you know what I mean. Yeah, as a reaction to... Um being held back in life as well. I think. Oh, yeah. There's this kid I follow. 
Yeah, I follow this kid on um, Instagram. He lives in Moscow, mm. which is, of course, um, you know, Russia's not not known as being the most open-minded place. No. But he does this party, and it's this mega gay party that looks fabulous, full of queens and characters. Because it's a real safe space then, and so can really let go, whereas you can't, as soon as you mm. step back outside the door, you've got to pull it all back in again. Totally. I think also where people are politically engaged or part of some sort of political movement, even even if they want to be or not. So in those places in, in, in Middle Europe and Eastern Europe at that time, it's in the air. The politics is in the air as well. And I think that really sounds like that would ruin having fun, but actually it makes fun even more fun somehow. Yeah. To feel you're on you the vanguard the of yeah of something really going somewhere and also yeah. uh, Istanbul I've had some incredible nights in Istanbul like where you're right. on top of a building partying like best music you've ever heard the swimming pools all these gorgeous people and then you hear the prayer the guy goes up on another building and he starts. So you got your techno music and you're going, oh, yeah, mixing with it, you know, <laughs> these amazing. clashes. Um, and I love cities with big, with big rivers running through them. I mean, like those cities, huge river, like in Istanbul, obviously one side of the river is Asia and one side of the river is Europe. So you can imagine that is like, poof, this insane you know and then they've got incredible artists there and it's a very amazing history and all that and then there's all this oppression as well and so it's a mad place mad and yeah. Tbilisi and you think that helps like off the scale you know I was in a rave we were invited to Tbilisi by the government the government that was in uh, about 10 years ago and they were real like libertarian sort of pushing things through government you know friends of america and all that really pissed off the the russians constantly and um we were invited by them we played their um independence day and we stayed there four nights and we were hanging around with the government and um you know i was in the rave Where is it? Uh, I, georgia I being complete- georgia Right, right, right. Geography is not my strong point. No, mine right. either. And I honestly, I haven't a clue. But I do know this place because it really stayed with me. And um, they, I was on the, ra- I was raving on the dance floor. And, the, you know, you turn around, there's there's the mayor raving with you with his shirt off, like in a, with a bottle of wine, red wine, swigging red wine out of the bottle on the dance floor. <laughs> that was just genius they had a big party they had a big party in the summer house of the president of the you know the not president but the you know the like the prime minister Minister, yeah and it was in a kind of beautiful place in the country but sort of a compound where lots of political class have houses and that and all the communist guys were trying to shut down they were calling the police and trying to shut down his party and all this you know and this is the government like it was genius Genius. Amazing. But you saw what happened there, the big uh, rave. They went into the square a few years ago, a couple of years ago, because they were trying to shut down the clubs. And they oh. raved for like five days nonstop out in front of the uh, in front of the government building in the square there, where we played, in, in, actually. In protest. Yeah. And it in was like genius, yeah, wow. genius place. It's a genius place.
I'm going to ask you some quick fire questions. I ask everyone these on this podcast. Um, okay, you're throwing a party, you're a club. Who's on your dream guest list? Let's say three names, living or dead. Well, I would have um, Larry Levan come to do the DJ. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I would quite like to have perhaps um, a Marianne Faithful, perhaps there, I could have. Mm, good one. But you'll yeah. mind you, she'll yeah. probably be be telling everybody, you know, how to do, how to do it when she's a bit bossy, isn't she? Uh, uh, no, let's okay, have Grace yeah. Jones for sure. We have Grace 100%. Jones in there, so sort of, she could do some riding of the bar and let me off for one. Yeah, night. she'd have a hula hoop on or something. <laughs> yes. You know. Um, and then, um, I mean, I'd like to have Mickey Murphy, my father, when he was young. Jesus, nobody raved like him. He was great. And then, obviously, afterwards, right. he could do a bit of a sing song. Which would be nice yeah. once the once the beats were turned down. He, my dad, could start doing a few old songs, and that'd be grand. It's a bit of a yeah. hard question, that. <laughs> people. Is it? Yeah, because actually, yeah. it'd be my mates, wouldn't it? You, the best people to have yeah. with you, are your mates. And so you're, you've got Larry Levant. You book Larry to DJ. Oh, for what's sure. What's the what? What's well, the final I, I'm not going to tell him what to what to play, but I think something more will go down as a final track pretty well. Yeah, nice, nice. For me, something more. The version that we decided to go with for the single, it really makes me think of the end of the night. It's an end of the night song. Um, and uh, I would love to hear it in that context. Yeah, played by him. Yeah, on that system, the Paradise Garage, come on, let's have it. Amazing. Roshi Murphy, this is your life of the party. Oh, lovely stuff. <laughs> Thank you so much. This has been Life of the Party with me, Jody Harsh. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you haven't subscribed just yet, please do. There's a new episode every week. Right, see you at the next party. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.